0: fourth place is not on the podium. If you're competitive, that's like the first loser. Like you don't wanna be in fourth place. So I had to change my off-axis backflip to an off-axis double backflip. And on landing that trick, I caught an edge and I whiplashed my head onto the snow. So my brain started bleeding in eight spots and I hurt my right brain stem, which completely paralyzed the right side of my body. Hey
1: guys, this is Coach K and you're listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your mind. So we are in for a treat today. And when I say we, I mean you guys and me, I'm very excited about our guests that we have on the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast today. Um, We've had a lot of cool people on this podcast and not that this is a competition or anything, but this guest may take the cake for just being our most awesome um, podcast guest we have had. I say it's not a competition, but we're all, You know i'm an athlete she's an athlete and we're competitive so it is a little bit of a competition i guess i'm gonna go ahead and just jump right into her bio so we can get into this conversation and hear from our guests as much as possible so our guest today is jamie mo crazy Jamie's journey is a testament to the power of resilience, courage, and unwavering determination from her early triumphs in gymnastics and skiing to her historic achievements in the skiing world. Her story took an unexpected turn when a skiing accident changed the course of her life. Picture this. Jamie was the first woman in the world to flip off a rail in a ski competition. Jamie won the first ever slope style skiing junior world championships in New Zealand and then proceeded to convince the IOC, which is the international Olympic committee. I had to look that one up myself to add slope style skiing to the Olympics. She was the first female skier to land a double backflip in a competition at the winter X games in Aspen, Colorado back in 2013. And she also had been ranked first or second overall in the world for the previous three years. Her dominance on the slopes was undeniable. Today, Jamie's story goes beyond the slopes as she shares her insights and experiences as a motivational speaker, inspiring others to overcome obstacles and embrace their own potential for positive change. So, without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Jamie Mo Crazy. Jamie, thank you for joining us today and sharing your incredible journey. Wow,
0: thank you so much for having me. And that introduction, it just gave me the shivers. I was like, that girl's so cool. Um, so thanks yeah. for making me sound so much cooler. Oh,
1: no, th- this is all you. You're definitely that cool. And we're very, very excited to have you here with with us today. I have to start with this, and I didn't even prep you for this question. But as I was kind of thinking about today's interview and what I wanted to ask you, this one just like kept coming to my mind. But Mo Crazy is... Is, is your real first name or it's not, right? Mo Crazy isn't your your real name,
0: your real last well, name. Well, so that's an interesting story. So when I was a baby, I was very adventurous right away and very creative. And I did something. It's, it's a family story. I climbed up the living room drapes. It's about 10 feet up. And I get stuck at the top and I go, mommy helping me, mommy helping me. And my mom comes running out of the kitchen and she goes, oh, my little Mo Crazy. And my birth last name was Crane Mosey. so from that moment I became my mom's little mo crazy. And then you said something about competition and how I might be your best guest, which is awesome because I love competing. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll hear how competition has always played a huge role in my life and it started really young. So when I was little, when I was nine years old, I actually won state championships in ski racing and the very same year won state championships in gymnastics. And I was interviewed by the Connecticut Post saying what did I want to do when I was grow up. And I said I wanted to combine skiing and gymnastics, which is what slope style skiing is. Multiple jumps and rails, flips and spins, gymnastics on snow. And so my whole life, my nickname was Mo Crazy. And when I started competing, it grew even stronger, the announcers would say Jamie Cray Mosey, the Mo Crazy, is now on course. And then when I had my accident and went back to being a speaker, it was my stage name, Mo Crazy. And then here's the kicker. In May of 2022, I went back to Whistler, the mountain where I almost lost my life, to marry the love of my life. And in that process, I legally changed my last name to Mo Crazy. So now that is my name on my passport Jamie Mo Crazy.
1: That is awesome. I knew that there was a story behind it, but I feel like that just like blew whatever I thought (laughs) it was going to be out of the water. So I love that. I love most about it that the nickname came from before you ever even, you know, were like a professional skier. I was thinking, you know, as soon as you started doing a lot of the stuff that you were doing on the ski slopes, it was like, oh, okay, you know, that nickname came from some announcer or some reporter or something like that. But the fact that it came from basically when you were a baby um, and has stuck with you and now is your legal last name. And did
0: your, did your husband take the last name as so well? He did not take the last name as well, but he was okay. very supportive of me taking the last name and um, believed it was my identity and like my brand and like who I was. And our kids will be Mo Crazy Clerks.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. Well, I I love that story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And, yes, I mean, from reading more about you and kind of following you on social media and all this, I can totally tell that you have that competitive drive in you. Um, It's obviously very clear from all the accomplishments you had when you were skiing as well and what you have done after the accident too, which we're gonna get into. But let's backtrack a little bit. And I wanna ask if you can share a bit about your journey from being a world-class ski champion, like we've talked about already in some of those accomplishments, to the accident um, that that you faced and kind of what what happened after that.
0: Yeah, well, I would, I would love to explain that. And one of the most important things about it is that I remember very little. <laughs> Um, and so I, some of my last memories are driving up to Whistler with my little sister. And it was her first world tour finals that she made to compete in half pipe. And Jeannie is currently still a professional half pipe skier. So that's super exciting. Um, but this was her first world tour finals and she gave me a hug and I dropped in for the run that would change my life and so what happened that day that I've been told is that after my first run I was sitting in fourth place and as we've already discussed fourth place is not on the podium if you're competitive that's like the first loser like you don't want to be in fourth place so I had to change my off axis backflip to an off axis double backflip. And on landing, that trick, I caught an edge and I whiplashed my head onto the snow. So my brain started bleeding in eight spots and I hurt my right brain stem, which completely paralyzed the right side of my body. And so it's really dramatic because my little sister was at that event and gave me a hug when I dropped in for my run. Then she saw my takeoff, but she couldn't see the landing because of the mountain. Um, Then she saw that I didn't hit the next jump Then she heard the ski patrol radio crackle to life, saying we need all hands on deck and a helicopter on standby. And so without a word, she and my coach put their skis on and skied down to me. And my little sister saw me convulsing, spewing blood, and my eyes rolled back in my head. And so that's a memory that she can still see clear as day. In the blink of an eye, she went from following around her older sister, who was a gregarious competitive leader, to all of a sudden, instantly, her older sister was fighting for her life. And then in my recovery process, we never knew who I would recover back to be. So at the beginning stages of my recovery process, I was completely dependent on my family. And so my little sister went from being my little sister to my caretaker.
1: It's crazy because obviously you have your own story around all this, but so does your family, right? Like what they experienced going through all of that, obviously them having, you know, the memory of actually what happened and and you not. And then, you know, what happened after with you being in the hospital and not knowing exactly like if you were gonna live and then what your look what your life was gonna look like after that. I'm sure that they could talk about that for days and that's affected them in, in many ways, I'm sure. What are some of the first things that you remember coming back, you know, in the hospital from that accident?
0: So some of the things that I remember was I was I started out at Vancouver General Hospital in Canada and then I was airlifted still in a coma eight days later to Intermountain Medical Center in salt lake city utah and i remember being up on the 13th floor and actually when my mind was coming back and i started having some memory retention i didn't believe that i was in a hospital i was like Firmly convinced that old people and sick people went to the hospital and I had pictures all over my wall. I had a hammock. My mom was living there. It wasn't a hospital. Plus, I could prove it to the nurse when she asked me every day, where are you? It's not a hospital because when you poke me with the needles, it doesn't hurt. So they're not real. And then they had a really hard time knowing what to say to their patient where... It didn't hurt her because she was still paralyzed on that side of her body when they poked her with the needles. But that mindset stayed throughout my recovery. Um, I did, after I left the hospital, begin to realize that I had been in a hospital. Um, And I was still in denial of how critical my accident was until I went back to Whistler for my one year anniversary injury anniversary and when i went back to whistler i i met my icu neurosurgeon and i met my first responders and they all said that my recovery was miraculous and i actually clearly remember my first responders saying we believed that you had a one in a miracle chance of surviving but we fought for that miracle and that just still gives me goosebumps. And I realized that when my mom said I had a miraculous recovery, it wasn't just being a mom, I actually did. So I began to realize the platform that I had to actually recognize and acknowledge my heroes because I would not be here without my first responders. I would not be here without my medical team. I would not be here without the education that my family caregivers led by my mom had. And some of that education is that my mom had studied um, early childhood brain development in her master's in her early childhood education and had a master's in psychology prior to my accident. So now she's actually a PhD candidate on mind-body medicine with a focus on traumatic brain injury recovery. So she can put science back behind everything that she advises as an expert for Mo Crazy Strong. Um, but before my accident, she had the education on neuroplasticity, and that played a huge role. So all these different aspects—they're the heroes. They're the people who created what you're what you're seeing in front of you, who you're interviewing. I didn't have control of my life for months of my life. Like even when I left the hospital, I couldn't drive a car. When I left the hospital, um, it, it took me months to get back my my license, and then it took beyond that for me to start having the eligibility to make decisions as an adult again, like my own competence needed to return. So um, it was a giant process. And if I did not have all that strength, education and advocacy for the people who surrounded me in all the different formats, I would not have had the recovery that I had. Well, by the way, your story gives me goosebumps
1: too. And when I hear about, you know, just the the chance that you had to not only be here today talking to us and walking around, but also just to live, right? Um, You know, that that it was a miracle. You know, obviously the support you had around you played a huge part, if not like it meant everything when it came to your recovery, especially early on. But I am curious for you specifically, at what point, you know, or or maybe never, but at, at Was there a point where mentally it kind of hit you how big of a recovery process this was going to be for you and and how far you had to come to basically be where you're at now?
0: Yes, there was um, an aspect that I can remember is that first winter um, when my mom was off ski instructing because she's a ski instructor and Jeannie was off at a competition and I just remember lying in bed and looking up at the ceiling and thinking, who's gonna care if I get up today? I had no work, no school, no reason to get up. And I was like, who's gonna care? And that's when I began to realize the only person who's gonna care is me. And it was like this, this breakthrough moment when I realized that I am the only person who truly cares about every decision that I make in my life and everything I do and so I realized I needed help and I needed to make a change because I was falling into depression and luckily my mom also saw that I was falling into depression. And so there's an organization called High Fives, which gives out grants to individuals who've had life-changing injuries in the outdoors and want to get back to the outdoors. And so she told me that High Fives had paid for me to get psychotherapy, mental therapy. Um, And so if I didn't go, I would be wasting their money. Because even though I began to realize that I needed help and I needed a change, I didn't think I needed therapy. I was announcing a due tour and I, I had lived. I was supposed to be so grateful that I had lived. Like, can you believe that I was alive? So why was I crying multiple times every single day? And why was I having these emotional outbursts? So I was just trying to hide it and, and push it away. And, and I didn't think that I deserved to get help because I didn't need it, um, but, Once my mom said that they had already paid, and so if I didn't show up, I would be wasting their money. That was a click that got me to show up, and the first session I just cried. And then since then, it's been one of the most life-changing things that I did in my recovery. Um, And they hadn't already paid, so I wouldn't actually be wasting their money, but my mom knew how to get me. (laughs) So that was really great. And then another thing I did, was I went back to Westminster University and I went back to the college environment so I would have teachers grade me and and I would have things I had to do, goals I had to set and I would be judged. And let me tell you, sometimes on like exam week, I'm like, did I really wanna come back to get grades and exams? But I really did. I wanted that reason to get up. I, I wanted somebody to care, someone to get upset if I wasn't there. And so I realized that I needed to do things in my life to give myself the accountability um, and have other people give me the goals and accountability. You described what
1: I read in your your on your website is the mantra "Be your Own best, Be your own personal best." And, you know, I I, that really resonates with me as well. I I really thrive off of, you know, having goals and having that accountability. And it sounds like that's something that really helped push you through those terribly hard moments. And then obviously your mom knowing how to just push your buttons exactly right, which it's funny how sometimes parents know how to do that um, was really, really big for you as well. So Jamie the accident was in 2015 it's obviously 2023 now are you still is there therapy that you're still doing in terms of like you know brain therapy physical therapy like anything like that you're still
0: doing to this day um not directly connected to brain injury so there are still some aspects like I'm very conscious about my diet and I try to eat healthy natural foods stay away from processed food, stay away from sucrose, stay away from things. Um, And then I also um, like to do yoga and I like to do Pilates and I like to do bar class. So like I'm always very active and I do make an effort to always keep trying to stimulate my brain. Um, Like my my husband's mom's side of the family is Portuguese. And so we're learning the language on Duolingo, and we do that every night. Um, and I do firmly believe that, and I and I know scientifically that you need to stimulate your brain to keep those brain pathways firing, to keep your mind from going down. And so as we're all getting older, um, you do make a need to make a conscious effort to protect your brain. Um, but it's not directly related to the brain injury. I'm sure my listeners will be curious about this. I know you said that's kind of
1: like what everyone wants to know or asks, but um, how long did it take you to be able to walk again? And then how long was it before you, you know, put on skis and were able to go down a hill
0: again? Yeah. Well, that actually, that part was fast. So because I had been an athlete um, and I had that mindset, I had grown up with a mindset. So Again, back to my mom um, and some of the background education she had before my injury, which makes her now the most crazy strong expert, is so she had a federal grant from the government to teach self-esteem to women when I was growing up. And so that led me to believe when you mentioned be your own personal best, that if I did my own personal best, I could do whatever I wanted. And so that's what led me to break boundaries and become the first woman in the world to double flip about X Games was because it was my own personal best. And then after my brain injury, my own personal best changed dramatically. All of a sudden, my own personal best became swallowing one sip of water. It took me over a week after my feeding tube was taken off to be able to swallow water. One sip without coughing. And so that was my own personal best. But since I had that understanding, I knew I needed to keep performing at my own personal best to be able to reach the dramatic goals that I wanted to accomplish. So that led to me really understanding how to do my physical recovery. And so relearning my movement On the right side of my body it was sped up by my mom taping down my hand for set periods of time during the day so I was rebuilding my synaptic connections and brain pathways because I did have to do all that work but I I completely understood that Um, after an ACL surgery, which I had multiple of, you can't walk, so you have to go through your rehab and, and become able to walk again. So you set your attainable goals, which for me was goals like relearning how to walk up the stairs. And you, you set those goals so you can reach your growth goals, which back in the hospital, when I couldn't walk upstairs, my growth goal was to return to skiing. Um, and actually, that very fr- next winter, So the first winter after my accident, I did return to skiing with a national Ability center in Park City, Utah. So I went with a center that is trained for cognitive and physical disabilities. So I had a coach who was trained to support that and I did have to relearn how to ski. So I started on the most basic runs and then I advanced up. Um, But the physical recovery was definitely the fastest and so by about a year I seemed to be recovered. However, my cognition wasn't there. I was still having memory loss. I was still finding it difficult to articulate the words for what I really meant in the sentence. I would like mix up words and and say something, but really mean something else. Um, And my emotional stability was really off the charts. So that winter was actually when I got the most depressed Um, that, that first winter when I, really began to realize that even though I went back to skiing, I made the choice not to return to competing because I knew I would have to fall a lot to be a professional athlete again. And I knew it was really risky. And I had had so much support that I, I just didn't want to die in front of my mom. Like, I really, I really didn't want to do that. And I just felt so guilty. And so I knew if I felt guilty every time I was trying something, that that was just not the mindset that you can have and and be a competitive athlete. So I stepped away from competing, and that is when I had the emotional challenges. But um, And those continued to last for a good five years. So I would say when I was about five years out of my injury is when I felt like I had actually stabilized in my recovery
1: got it okay so yeah very interesting you know obviously you come out of an accident like that and and you're paralyzed can't walk it does seem you know at least from the exterior like being able to physically walk again and get back on skis is like the big challenge but as you've now said a couple times that was a challenge obviously and took a full year to do to Mm -hmm. do so but that wasn't that didn't ultimately become the biggest challenge and Ultimately, you know, your brain healing, but then also at the same time going through something as emotional as basically hanging up this sport that you had been working your entire life to this point to, you know, become a lead at and you had done that and wanted to continue to build on that is huge. I mean, someone who's not. Who doesn't have an accident and who's not trying to recover from a brain injury whenever it is that they hang up their sport especially if they become professional at it that is that's that's a huge you know identity Mm -hmm. crisis in and of itself let alone doing it with everything that you've been going through so i can imagine how incredibly challenging that was and to have the support system like you've talked about from your family you guys seem very close-knit which is really cool Um, i'm sure was huge I think that you've already mentioned a couple things that this entails already, but I am curious about the Mo Crazy Method that you guys reference quite a bit um, on your website and in your social media. Could you kind of explain what the Mo Crazy Method entails and, and also where it came from?
0: Yeah. So the Mo Crazy Method um, kind of encompasses the blueprint of rebuilding your life after a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life and you have to climb an alternative peak so how do you do that and everybody faces struggles and challenges in their life and and some from the outside seem really big some from the outside seem really small but if you feel they're affecting you they're they're all big and they all need to be taken care of and so with the Mo Crazy Method, it starts out with the mindset, the understanding that you can recover. You can build a new life you love, no matter what your challenges are. Um, I have friends who have lost lost body parts, had legs amputated because of cancer, permanent changes in their ability lem- level. And they've gone on to win the Olympics and create new powerful lives for themselves. So the big point of the mindset is, which is the first stage, is that you can recover and build a new life. The second thing is how to recover and build a new life. So you can lay out uh, pages, documents, and it's kind of education of like the different aspects, the nutrition um, and your opportunities and um, for creating the habits in your life because then once you have the habits you will be able to start climbing that alternative peak i
1: think sometimes that's what some people are are missing they understand maybe they're going through a really hard time or they have this challenge in front of them but to it's you know there's something to say for it's okay being sad and it's okay to like feel what you're feeling but to also just kind of like step back from it and gain the perspective okay this is my challenge right like I always feel like that's the first step like this is the hill that I just slid all the way down and now I'm like sitting in this spot and then once you understand that then you can start saying okay now like how do I come out of that right or like where is it that I'm wanting to go and and what are the steps that I need to take in order to, in order to get there that's that's the next thing. So motivational speaking is something that you do a lot of now. You obviously have your own podcast. Um, and yeah, you go and speak to groups about about your story. And so I'm curious, how has sharing your journey with audiences around the world impacted your sense of purpose and fulfillment, kind of in this journey of life that you're on?
0: Well, it, it's definitely helped me feel more fulfilled. Like I mentioned, when I was 23, I felt old and washed up and I had no dreams, vision or future. And at that same time, when I was 23, that's when we went back for my one year anniversary in Whistler. And at that time, my little sister Jeannie and I decided that we wanted to share a documentary about the story, hashtag Strong. Um, And we also decided that if I ever got married, it would be atop the mountain. And then years and years of healing, recovery, thinking things. Like I started speaking eight months after my brain injury and who I was then versus who I am now and the speeches I deliver and the takeaways are completely different. Um, But so we did living and healing and recovering And then um, in May of 2022, I went back to the mountain that almost took my life to marry the love of my life. Um, And that was a huge opportunity. And then um, in February of 2023, this past February, we screened our short documentary. We had our global premiere at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. And that was super exciting. And I didn't know much about the documentary film world, but um, only 6% of the films that apply to Big Sky get screened there. And so we realized afterwards, we've talked to other other people in the film industry, and they're like, wow, Big Sky is like a dream come true. And we're like, thanks. Like We didn't realize what a big... The accomplishment it was, and then we've gone on to screen it. Um, we've gotten into nine different festivals. We've screened at seven of them. And we have the whole fall of film festivals, and then we're going to go public with it. Um, and we were able to screen our film on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., in front of legislature and the brain injury community. Um, and that felt so wonderful to be able to show a film that changed the narrative of brain injury recovery. Because um, it is actually brain injury is the largest acquired disability in the US. And it's not talked about and it's, it's not seen as, as much. And it used to be kind of a diagnosis for like lifelong disability. Um, But showing this story helps individuals realize they can continue to rewire their brain. And and neuroplasticity is a years and years process and you can recover and create a life you love to be living. Um, So that has really helped me feel much more fulfilled about what we're doing. And it's just beginning to grow and we're talking Uh, To families about and just the way we hear that we're affecting them is is just so wonderful and we have so many exciting Plans in the future like uh, March of this year. It's not quite public what our platform is going to be but we're gonna publicly um, Screen hashtag mo crazy strong. So it's gonna be on one of your streaming platforms Um, and then we're also in in talks about um, Jeannie publishing a book from her point of view of the more crazy strong story. So it's a memoir that takes you through the journey of her mindset, her like you feel like you're living it. Um, and then, as you're driving to the airport, you hear all these like flashbacks of like our childhood growing up. So you fall in love with the character me who's on death's bed and then you you see the recovery from the one person who was there throughout the whole thing and was my little sister who immediately became my big sister. So that's gonna be really exciting as well. So about my identity and fulfillment, um, accomplishing all these things and really getting some things that I had dreamed about and envisioned six years ago, seven years ago, for them to start actually happening um, makes me feel much more confident in who I am, what Mo crazy strong is delivering and where we can go in the future so that we can actually help change millions of lives and give them opportunities to have a recovery after a brain injury.
1: That's really awesome, Jamie. Thank you for sharing all that. I know that I'm like really, really excited to watch that, Film that you guys are, are putting out i haven't seen it yet but i will definitely be looking out for if it happens to come anywhere near me to go see it but if not um you know watching on that platform like you mentioned hopefully in march and i know i've said this a couple times already but how cool to be able to do all this with your family you know what i mean um, obviously it's very cool for you individually and being able to accomplish these things which i know takes a ton of work right like it takes a lot of work to be a pro athlete obviously it's like you know that's your full-time job and you're putting a lot of work into it but this is another sort of work that's also very challenging and like you said a lot of people try and do this sort of thing like create films and and be speakers and you know get their stories out and aren't able to do so because it, it is just not only a lot of work but I mean there's a lot of strategy and everything behind it as well so really um, happy for you guys and Really cool for your family as well. Just out of you know personal curiosity, um, how is your sister doing, kind of like
0: on the pro scene right now? Yeah, that's a good question, and it, it's pretty exciting because within the past couple of years, um, Jeannie actually started doing climate activism work for this country called Vanuatu, which is an island. Um, it's eighty islands outside of near Fiji area. Um, in the South Pacific Uh and he started doing ambassador work with them. And then this past fall, they actually had an initiative that they proposed to the UN and it passed. Um, and so she went to the UN and was like part of that. Um, so she's really doing an amazing job of taking her ski career and combining it with like creating future careers and stuff. And so she, um, just this past year, her uh, dual citizenship was approved. So she's actually representing Ben Watu, um in the competition world because nobody knows of the country. Um, well, no Americans know. Um, and so bringing a light to that. And so that happened this past year. So that was exciting. Um, and she's going to start... Um, training this this fall, she, she took um, a year last year off because of our, our documentary and some family troubles we had. Um, we actually lost my older sister to cancer um, right before my wedding. And so we just had a lot of like family tension and we also were doing the film festival run. Um, so she was just doing like physical therapy, like, work workouts and stuff to keep her on, on top. But I'm pretty excited about this year because this year will be her first year representing Vin Watu. Um, but two years ago, she was getting into finals at Dutour, um and and moving along on the pro scene. So that, that's exciting. And we'll see after the tumultuous year and her change in identity, change in her nationality identity, um, what she comes back to.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about your sister. I wasn't aware of that. And, um, that, yeah, it's been quite the journey for you guys. And, um, I can imagine how that kind of changed a lot for, for everyone and affected everyone. Um, but that's very exciting for what your sister has coming up and I'm sure you're pumped to watch her and cheer her on. Do you guys go out skiing together
0: often? Like you and your sister or your mom, we do ski together a fair amount. And my mom loves skiing, um, and she's, she's a ski instructor. And, yeah, um, we ski a lot, and I am really hoping that uh, Jeannie makes the next Olympics for Vanuatu. so that's kind of the goal, so we can all watch and cheer her on and give her support while that happens.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. Where does your mom, uh, where is she a ski instructor?
0: Park City. So if you ever, if anyone okay. who's listening to this comes to Park City and they want a ski instructor, she's been a ski instructor for over a decade and she gets a lot of return clients and people love her. Um, just ask for fruit. Uh, that's her nickname, Fruit. And her badge actually says Grace Fruit Mozi And if you ask for fruit, everyone knows her and you can ski with her. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, if I ever
1: make it out there, I'm definitely going to maybe get a lesson from her. I meant to ask this at the beginning, but is that where you're located? Is in Park City, Utah? Well,
0: I actually live right down the hill in Salt Lake City. Um, So Salt Lake is pretty broad, um, but I live like right down the different canyons. So from my house, you can get to Big Cottonwood Canyon and Little Cottonwood Canyon, which is like Alta, Snowbird and solitude and brighton and you can get up to park city and deer valley all in a half an hour so we're like centrally located to all the different canyons
1: that's awesome i mean it's just like an outdoor paradise basically over there i I live in bend oregon have you ever been to bend by chance Uh, i have
0: not i've been to portland oregon so we like drove through it it's gorgeous there um but i have not actually stopped there
1: I just think it's funny because, like where where we're located, it's it, people like to think of it as an outdoor paradise, and it, it kind of is in a way. I mean, we have the ski mountain like 25 miles up the road, and you know, tons of hiking, road biking, mountain biking, and stuff like that in the summer, but you know, then you go to Utah and where, where you're talking about, it's just like that on steroids. It's just so much bigger scale and bigger mountains and, and everything. Um, so I definitely need to go check that out sometime soon. Yeah.
0: Well, if you ever come visit, um, let me know, and maybe we can put you up in a place and cause my mom and I both ha- have, can, could potentially house you, or at least we could have a cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, that's freaking awesome. Thank you for um, putting that out there. I'll definitely let you know. Well, I'm really, really excited for everything you guys have coming up. Like I said, I'm pumped to watch the documentary and just kind of keep following along with what you guys are doing because you and your family are just doing some really awesome stuff. Um, But before I let you go and and thank you again for just being here with us and sharing your story. I always end my interviews on this podcast with a rapid fire round so basically it's five quick questions where the goal is for you to answer in just like one word to one sentence max as as best as possible Um, just kind of like with the first thing that comes to mind so are you up for it? Yes. Okay awesome so question number one is who is one person you follow on social media who inspires you or just makes you feel good? Taylor Swift. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. I Taylor Swift. There's always been a craze for Taylor Swift, but right now it's just like Taylor Swift is like the person everyone is just loving on. So I love it. I like Taylor Swift. Can I
0: add to that? And then continue. So I was a big Taylor Swift fan and then my accident. So during my recovery, I mentioned that my family would play music for music therapy and they would play the songs that I like were on my iPod and I listened to before my accident. Um, and then they started playing Taylor Swift and I really connected to the song style because the chorus of it, we come back every time we go crashing down and we'll never go out of style will never go out of style. And I kind of grabbed onto that and and I grabbed it so hard that for years afterwards, I would just connect to like, I'm gonna come back after I went crashing down and I'm never gonna go out of style. I'm never gonna go out of style. So it really has, Taylor doesn't know how much her music played a role in my recovery because it actually did in the hospital. Um, But me latching onto that song so quickly in the hospital really motivated me to never go out of style.
1: I resonate with that, Jamie. Like I'm, I'm the same way. Sometimes there will just be like this one lyric that for years just will stick with me and it just is powerful, you know, so I love it. And I love that it was a Taylor Swift lyric. Maybe I'll have to clip just that part, you explaining that and we'll tag her and we'll see if she happens to see it so she can, she can know how big of a impact she had on your recovery. Yeah, let's do it all right cool all right question number two is what is
0: the biggest challenge that you are currently facing connecting with the right now connecting with the right um agency and publishing company to publish mm. uh Jeannie's novel
1: memoir okay cool so you guys are talking to a few like trying to figure out which one's going to be the best route to go yeah cool all right question number three what's one food you could eat every day of your life
0: it's one food I could eat every day of my life. You're the
1: first person I've ever asked this question to on the podcast, by the way. So I'm curious what your answer is going to be.
0: Well, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm like thinking too rationally about like the hop, the quick, quick answers. But I think every day would probably be something like bananas because they won't make me sick every day like they're not necessarily my favorite food but i feel like if i just ate it every day it, it would be stable yeah I, I like that
1: answer i that's actually something that came to my mind too and you can banana something you can like throw in a smoothie or yeah. eat it by itself or you can like put peanut butter on it like you can change it yeah. up which, which i think is. there's nice. a lot of creativity <laughs> and variety cool. you can do to it exactly all right, question number four if you could have anyone on your podcast who would it be like basically a dream podcast guest
0: i'd say right now one of my dream podcast guests would be the soccer player mia ham and um oh, yeah. my mom has actually instructed mia and her husband nomar and their family for like the past couple years. So I've met her and talked to her and she's awesome. She was one of my childhood sports idols that I looked up to and she's just as cool as she seems. Like she's honestly an amazing person. So now I look up to her post um, athletic career and how she is as a mother, just as much, but I've never asked her to be on my podcast, but, she would be an amazing guest. Yeah.
1: I feel like you should ask her. I have no idea if she even does podcast, you know, interviews or not, but that would be freaking awesome. I have to also share that my mom just went to the Women's World Cup in New Zealand and as they were, then they went to New Zealand first and then they were flying to australia she was with like a little group of friends and mia ham was on their flight so as she was getting off the flight she like texted me when she was on the flight i'm gonna ask me if i can get a picture with her and i was like hmm, i wonder how that's gonna go but then she like sent me a selfie with her so mia was so nice and like took a picture with my mom which i thought was
0: awesome that's so, cool yeah, yeah she's she's such a such a big name and it's kind of funny because her husband nomar gracia para Um, he's, he's a really big name as well. And so he was actually my husband, Reggie's childhood idol growing up. So it was kind of funny. I was like, Oh, "Oh, I'm seeing both of our idols and actually going to get pizza with them. Yeah.
1: That's super cool. That's cool that you guys have that, that family connection too. Um, real quick before we get to question number five, I wanted. to to ask you if you wanted to share a little bit about your podcast, um, Life Gets Mo Crazy. Kind of just share a little bit with my audience what it's, what it's about and you know, they might want to go
0: check it out. Yeah. Well, Life Gets Mo Crazy is about people who encounter um, struggles and traumas and challenges in their life and how they climb alternative peaks afterwards. And so how they get over the trauma. We interview survivors, um, and caregivers and some different medical people connected to brain injury recovery and talk about the opportunities, the mindsets, the habits people build to be able to climb an alternative peak after they encounter an unexpected trauma. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks
1: for sharing that. And I'm sure my audience will really, you know, would really enjoy your podcast. It sounds like we have a lot of similarities. So go check out Jamie's podcast, Life Gets Mo Crazy. And i I'll be really, really pumped if I see Mia's uh, name pop up on one of your podcasts one day. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, th- I think you should ask her. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And last
0: question, number five, what's the best advice you've ever received? So the best advice I've ever received was the mantra I was raised with as a child from my mom to be your own personal best. And it's just... Traveled with me through every aspect of my life and it's been so dramatic like I had no idea that my life would be the way it was Um, But just keeping that advice to be your own personal best really helped me be able to um, Accomplish things recreate my identity and move forward and and I still hold hold true to that to be your own personal best um, every day will help you climb bigger mountains than you ever imagined.
1: I Jamie, I hundred hundred percent agree. I feel like that's some of the best advice you can give anyone, but especially an athlete, because I do feel like, you know, and from a little bit of my experience playing back in the day too, I, I feel like as an athlete there's just like so much pressure to perform. Mm-hmm. Um and You know keeping that mindset of you know no matter what as long as i'm going out there and giving everything i have and even not so much in competition but also in in practice right Mm -hmm. remembering as long as i'm out here working as hard as i can and as long as i'm out here taking care taking care of my body the best that i can and all those things like if you can honestly say yes to those questions say that you are doing those things then like you can't really go wrong right like no matter how the competition ends up as competitive as we are and as much as we want a podium and everything, but like if you're giving your best, that's kind of like all you can do. So, um, I, I have always felt like that's like such a comforting mantra. Um, so I agree with that. So thank you so much, Jamie, for being on the podcast. Um, Real quick before I let everyone go, I just want to say that if you want to go and follow Jamie Moore and everything that her and her organization and her family have coming up, you can follow her on social media. Um you can follow her on Instagram at Jamie Mo Crazy. I'll go ahead and link that in the episode description. She's also on YouTube, Facebook, etc., a lot of the social media pages. So I will link all of those um, down below in the episode description and like we talked about you can check out her podcast life gets mo crazy and also her website at www.mo.crazystrong.org. so yeah thank you so much for being here maybe we'll meet up someday in utah um, but i just appreciate you taking the time to share your story with my audience thank you so much for having me of course well real quick before i let everyone go last thing i'll say like always is changing your path will not be easy it will be challenging i'll say that over and over again but it will be worth it so do a self-check today are you on your path up your mountain and if not what path are you on